welcome to a special episode of the Cinephile Delinquents. My name is Byron Bixler. I am one half of the Cinephile Delinquents. Uh, this is not one of our usual episodes. This is part of an ongoing series that will be going from today through Monday, in which I will be kind of talking loosely about the Ithaca Fantastic Film Festival here in Ithaca, New York, which started this week. Uh, if you are not aware, the Ithaca Fantastic Festival is an annual horror-themed movie festival and um, always comes around in November, and I've been a few times in the past, but this is the first time that I've actually gotten a chance to cover it for a publication, so I've got a press badge, and uh, I'm going to be there day after day after day until it's over, seeing as much as possible and writing articles for the site on Filmic Magazine, as well as doing these little informal check-ins um, because each article will really just be a, uh, I'll be giving little brief paragraphs or maybe two paragraphs on each film I see because I don't want to, I'm not going to have the time to do full reviews for every film. So um, this is my chance to kind of expand on some of those thoughts so I can uh, give you the full lowdown on what I saw and also just kind of the experience of the festival itself. So so uh, I, I went to opening night on Wednesday uh, they showed The Handmaiden, which is Park Chan-wook's new film. If you uh, don't recognize that name, you might know his films Old Boy, Lady Vengeance, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, uh, Thirst. He's made a whole lot of films uh, that are very popular out of Korea. And uh, he's kind of become a sort of master of the thriller genre. And so he started, uh, well, his latest film played at opening night. And... Um, very interesting. I wrote a full review on that, so I'm not going to talk about it too much here. I'm just mentioning uh, that's that was kind of a starting point. Um, check it out. It is. It's very different. Uh, if you like his brand of thriller films, kind of strange and erotic and uh, just unique in, in weird ways, uh, if you're into that, then you'll probably like The Handmaiden. It's right up his alley as far as his usual style, but it's got enough freshness that um, it's still enjoyable. It's not going to feel redundant. But anyway, so day one, the first full day of screenings kicked off today, and uh, I went down for the first one at four, and that film was The Open, which is a French, Belgian, and UK co-production, I believe. And uh, so this film is about... It's set in a post-apocalyptic near future. It begins with a... Um, with a renowned tennis star uh, arriving at an event, and just as she gets out of the car and everyone's mobbing her, uh, you see a big mushroom cloud blow up in the in the uh, in the distance, and just hard cut to the title. And so from there, uh, it, it's it's kind of an abstract film in terms of what it's about and what it's trying to do. It's not really based on a on a very linear storyline. So we pick up in. Um, in the countryside, very far away from whatever city this person was in. And uh, she's now living with her trainer, like, in a tent. And they've, or her, her trainer, I guess, has abducted this guy and has convinced him to kind of uh, play along with them. What they're trying to do is they're training for what they say is an, a new tennis title, this upcoming championship. But it's all imaginary. Uh, they don't, the rackets they have don't have strings. Uh, they don't have any tennis balls. They kind of put out some tape 
on the grass or on the sand or wherever they're setting up, and uh, they play this imaginary game of tennis, and it's kind of odd. Um, and this guy they, they bring along is very reticent to join at first because he's like, this is absurd, the world has gone to shit, and you're messing around with fake tennis games. But eventually he kind of buys into it because it's, it's kind of a comfortable delusion and it helps them uh, compartmentalize uh, the better parts of human experience before this fallout happened and kind of wrecked everything. And so it becomes kind of a protective bubble for them to engage in this. And uh, so the film doesn't really have a lot of plot points. It's just it's them training, and um, they don't really run into anyone else until kind of near the end. But they're training, and uh, every once in a while a, a plane will come flying overhead, and suddenly they'll be brought back to the reality of their situation. And so I guess I would describe it as... Um, if, you ever, if you've ever seen John Hillcoat's The Road or read the book, it's like The Road um, minus the cannibals. Uh, replace them with tennis, I guess, which is weird. But um, it's a quirky premise, and I was very open to it. Open to it. Uh, yeah. I was very open to it. Uh, I was hoping it would work out because um, I love abstract concepts, uh, metaphors kind of played around with in a cinematic way. But I thought this was uh, kind of a... Kind of, kind of a slog to get through. Um, I didn't have a lot of sleep the night before, admittedly, so uh, I was dozing here and there, but I did catch most of it. I wasn't like missing key date details, it was just a minute or two here and there. And um, I, I had a hard time connecting with it, really. Um, I, I didn't think that the concept was uh, played with deeply enough. I almost felt like it was probably better suited to a short form um, in addition, the, the two main characters were just kind of blank slates throughout. I never felt their humanity come through. They were just um, very one-dimensional to me. And the film as a whole felt kind of one-dimensional in terms of what it was doing. It was just training sequence, a brief moment of uh, obvious character, emotional beat, uh, and then go back to training, and then they'll have a match with each other, one of those... Um, imaginary matches and a lot of times they'll shoot it in a way that is um, with a lot of still images in a montage which is kind of interesting but then they don't do it and then they go back to it so I don't really know what the method was or what the idea was behind that uh, why they kind of dropped it and then went back if that was intentional or what but um, also there's kind of a weird thing where this this movie has a weird fixation with sudden zoom-ins it's not a snap zoom but it's it's like that thing that you see in um, in single-camera television sometimes where the, the camera will be moving around and it'll do a sudden little uh, movement in towards the character. And this movie does that a whole lot, and it's really distracting. Um, mostly in the first half of it, it's doing it almost every time it cuts to someone, it does that. Um, and that kind of threw me off a bit. But um, I guess I should also say, too, and this isn't really the fault of the festival, I guess... Um, what happened was the the audio was out of sync with the picture and uh, became apparent about 10 minutes in and then they tried to fix it and then it went back to being out of sync and apparently I guess the uh, the visuals were going at a different speed than the um, than the audio it's a weird 
set of circumstances. I'd never heard of that before, but I guess it just had to do with the way it was sent to them. So it has nothing to do with the people who run the show. That kind of thing didn't happen again for the rest of the day, but um, kind of an odd experience because I was constantly um, hearing hearing the audio about five to six seconds before you'd actually see it come into play, and I'd never seen a whole movie like that. Um, but that doesn't have anything to do with the movie's quality. That's just a side note. But anyway, yeah, uh, this film doesn't really meet meet its potential. I was a little disappointed by it. Uh, it's not a bad movie. It's just kind of underwhelming, I would say. So that was the open. Uh, while I missed, well, when I was watching the open, I missed The Naked Prey, which is, uh, I believe, a 60s survival film set in Africa. And I believe it's part of the Criterion Collection. But So that's notable. That's the other film that was playing. Uh, at 6 o'clock, I went in to see Auto Head. And uh, this really brought me back up because after the open, just kind of um, in and out of sleep and just not very engaged by it, I went into Auto Head with high expectations, um, or maybe maybe I should say slightly lowered expectations after the open. I went in, I went into Auto Head just hoping to find something better because I really didn't want to start off the festival with something subpar, and Auto Head really delivered. So Auto Head is an Indian film. It's a found footage Indian film, but it's not a Bollywood film. It's an independently made film. And um, sorry, my email just went off, so I was a little distracted for a second there. Uh, yeah, so it, it was an independently made film, uh, very low budget, clearly, um, and it's made in a very realistic way. And it nails the realism in a way that the really good found footage films can. But so this this film is about... Uh, a trio of documentary filmmakers um, go into the poorer parts of India with the intention of telling the story of the poor people. You know, we want to show the way poor people live. And so they're going in with these these uh, humanitarian-like noble intentions uh, of being a filmmaker. Um, and they attach themselves to this guy. And uh, he's a rickshaw driver. And uh, he's a little off, a, a little more than a little off. His name is uh, Narayan, I believe. I'm probably not saying that right. But Narayan, uh, he's a rickshaw driver, and he's got these really, really uh, toxic ideas about women and what they owe him. And he's constantly harping about his girlfriend um, and her not giving him the respect he's due and um, all sorts of things. He gets into all these uh, shouting matches with his mother about all sorts of things. And it just seems like the conversation keeps going back to like his sexual frustrations. And, um, and when it's not about his fr- sexual frustrations, it's just his frustrations with society in general. And, um, but when we first see him, he's kind of a pathetic character. Like he's saying these nasty things, but you don't really get the sense that he has any real sense of power. He's just, uh, he's just kind of a loser, um, maybe kind of a dick, but kind of a loser, um, and you do feel kind of bad for him. But uh, as time goes on, you see little glimmers of something else, um, that there is a screw loose in there, and as the film goes on, you see some of his sociopathic tendencies start to rise to the surface, and uh, it's pretty scary um, what this dude is capable of. And um, he ends up, I mean, not a spoiler, it's part of the whole premise, He, he ends up starting to kill people. And these filmmakers who follow him, instead of immediately going to the police uh, about this, they decide to 
continue following him uh, with the intention of eventually selling it to a news station because it's very it's very sensational, um, and they know they can probably fetch a pretty penny for it. So suddenly they've become very exploitational um, in their pursuit as filmmakers. They're no longer artists. They're just kind of doing this for the money, and there are all these moral questions that come in. But so this film was really fantastic, I thought, as far as creating, and well, he's not an anti-hero, but um, a protagonist, um, a main character who's a serial killer, let's say, uh, a protagonist who is charismatic and interesting um, on a number of levels. He has a lot of really interesting quotes, but they're not, they're not put in a way that feels like the writer's hand is pushing a point. Again, this is a very naturalistic film. There are many of the scenes play out in just one long take, and some of them play out a little too long, probably, and just linger. And there is an element of repetition throughout. But um, as far as planting nuggets of character information within a broader spectrum of just getting us used to the environment and the environment of this character's world and uh, also the landscape of his mind and how he thinks about things. It's really effective. And it's, it's that creepiness that just sneaks up on you slowly as the film goes on. And uh, so it, it ends up going to a place, I'm not going to say how it ends, but the ending of this movie is really fucking shocking. It's, well, maybe not shocking, but just really hard hitting, um, just stunning the way it plays out. Um, and I'm, I'm really hesitant to say anything more than that just because I don't want to give away what happens. But uh, it's a really, um, not sudden, but it's the kind of ending that just hits you in the gut um, and makes everything so much more disturbing than it was already. So, uh, yeah, this is, I, I would recommend this. I'd give it like a three and a half, so that sounds low. Um, I mean, it has issues. Like I said, it's kind of repetitive in places, and uh, eventually, at some points, it brings it in that whole narrative of the the serial killer wanting to clean the streets of the the dirtiness of the people or whatever, you know, like, it's all human trash, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, and that feels a little cliched, but for the most part, this is really cool. And I, I forgot to mention also, there's a whole element of critique of India's national cinema, specifically Bollywood, and just kind of populist cinema in general, as well as how, uh, as as well as how, uh, maybe not discriminated groups, but marginalized, poorer communities are are kind of pushed to the side and uh, not as prioritized as some of the upper classes in that country. Uh, there's a lot of talk of movies and movie stars, and this character, the way he acts on camera, makes you kind of wonder about how much. Uh, the camera being around is contributing to his violent behavior uh, and his need to perform. And so it's really interesting. If you've ever heard of the film uh, Man Bites Dog from, I believe, it was the 90s or 80s, something like that, similar premise uh, of a camera crew following around a serial killer. Uh, that, that film is more directly satirical. This has satirical elements, but this is, this is um, plays it a little more straight, I think, in terms of the, hor- the horror and uh, it's not aping that movie at all. It's just a similar premise. It is very unique to its uh, the country it comes from and the perspective of the director. So 
that was Autohead. Um, if it ever comes on Netflix or whatever, definitely check it out. It's very different. It is not your average found footage film. So uh, while I was seeing Autohead, I was missing S, for, S is for Stanley, which is a documentary about Stanley Kubrick's personal driver. And if you know me, you know that I love Stanley Kubrick. He's one of my favorite directors. Uh, and this sounded like a cool uh, little doc to check out. And uh, I heard some people coming out of it afterwards who seemed to think it was pretty insightful. But, um, yeah, so that's what I missed. And going on to 8 p.m. now, I went in to see Pet, which is a film starring Dominic Monaghan. Monaghan? I'm, again, probably saying the name wrong. I don't know. Uh, Lord of the Rings fame, you know, one of the hobbits. Um, Dominic Monaghan is a grade A creep in this movie. Um not a creep in the sense of like a Jake Gyllenhaal and Nightcrawler, uh, not not quite to the level of like a an Elijah Wood in Maniac, but in that same ballpark, I'd say. Um, he is this again, this loser loner guy who is having who has this job job at a at an animal shelter, and it's never really clear what he does. I think he's like some kind of janitor slash security guard kind of thing it's a low position and um, he's not getting paid much clearly and he mentions that and at at one point he runs into runs into we're not really sure if it was a chance encounter or if he had set it up beforehand but he runs into an old flame what well, not exactly an old flame more like an old acquaintance from high school and um she doesn't remember him and he's like oh you know we we went to school together you remember me we, I, I, I wasn't friends with you, but I, I remember you, which is already kind of creepy. Um, I, everyone remembers you, stuff like that. And uh, he kind of just starts latching onto her and like creeps on her social media pages and tries to track her down and accidentally bump into her at other places, uh, bars and at her job. And, oh, fancy seeing you here again, stuff like that. And she is obviously picking up on the creep factor and it's just like, this dude is bad news. I'm going to just try to get away from him. And um, after a series of attempts of trying to get her to go on a date with him or something, and them just repeatedly failing, uh, through a series of events, it's like a bunch of things happen. I'm not going to go through all of them. But eventually, at some point, he um, he imprisons her in like a a small little homemade uh, cage, hence the name Pet. She kind of becomes his pet. Um, not not in the way that you might think. Um, and he even explicitly says, like, I'm not going to treat you like my pet. Um, what he says is he wants to save her. Um, and that's not initially clear what he means by that. But over time, we kind of understand. And um, of the four films I saw... This is um, kind of the hardest to talk about in detail because it's so reliant on a number of twists and turns. Uh, But I will say this. um, The strength of the film comes from screenplay and its ability to kind of manage this balance of power. And it's really captivating in the way that the, the person who holds power just fluctuates back and forth and back and forth between him and her in really creative ways that you wouldn't expect throughout the film. And we learn things about her that we didn't know before that put a new perspective on it and our sympathies kind of shift. And 
At certain points, we don't really know who we're supposed to root for, if we're supposed to root for anyone at all. Um, and, and of course, it gets really violent at one point, uh, at a, a couple of points. But it's interesting. I'd say as far as the direction goes, it's, it's not as interesting. Um, this, is, this is a film I could see playing in a multiplex, um, playing to a wider audience. I think people would like it, even though some of its, um, its psychological stuff might be off-putting. But um, an engaging watch, I'd say, if you want to check it out. It is um, definitely entertaining. I'll just say that. It's, it's entertaining. Even if it's not like a Class A movie, I think it's very captivating and it's hard to look away from and it's just it's an interesting twisty kind of thriller um and the ending just kind of puts uh everything into question it's one of those endings where you don't quite know what to think about everything you just saw because of this weird twist that they pull um so i'll just leave you with that to think about so uh while i was seeing pet i was missing the love witch which was clearly the favored uh, film at the festival. Um, my screening of Pet had quite a few people of it, but The Love Witch, I, as I could see when people were filing out, was packed and uh, very, very popular. Everyone coming out of there was just beaming and just going on and on and on about it. Um, spoke with a couple people I know as well who seemed to really love it as well. And The Love Witch is this this throwback to 60s Technicolor um, pulp uh pulp novels and melodramas and stuff like that. Uh, and if you look at the trailer, it looks like a movie that came out 50-something years ago. It's kind of amazing that it's actually a contemporary movie. But so uh, after hearing from other people, it sounds like I probably should have gone for that. Uh, although Pet was not a waste of time. I did like it. So moving on to the last bit, um, I'm going to try to wrap this up soon because this is going a little longer than I thought it would. So uh, the last thing I saw tonight was the best thing easily. Uh, ended the night on a very, very high note with Wolfen, which is a, a horror... I don't know how to classify it exactly. It's it's kind of an investigative procedural film on one end. At the other time, At the other end, it's also kind of a horror thriller. Uh, it's a werewolf film, at least in premise, but it is totally different from what you would probably picture it as. Uh, reading the premise of it, um, a, a New York City in, uh, detective played by Albert Finney, who I love Albert Finney and everything, uh, Under the Volcano and um, The Dresser. I believe he was in The, in the Dresser, but... Albert Finney is great in everything, and uh, he's great in this, but uh, he plays a New York City detective who investigates what appears to be a series of animal attacks in New York. And uh, as he dives deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole, he comes to find an entire world that he never knew existed. And I'll get to what that means in a second. But So Wolfen, you would think going into it, it would be, it sounds like the premise of like a trashy... Um, special effects heavy horror film and it's set, it's in the 80s so it's kind of in that whole era where you had movies like that and this this was screened as part of a werewolf retrospective they're doing um in addition to an, an american werewolf in london which i i really like that film as well this is not that movie at all though uh, in terms of what it's trying to do and its tone and all that is very different uh it is very intense 
at times. It takes the Jaws route of hiding the creature or creatures, maybe I should say, um, which again, not like a major spoiler, uh, of hiding the monsters that are kind of roaming around for 90% of the movie until really the climax you get to see them. Um, And it's got this level of intrigue about it where we're just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And there's just this mysterious aura over everything. And it's really fascinating in that way. And at the same time, more interesting than just the tenseness of it, the tension of it, I should say, is the way it uses subtext. I, I would have never thought that a werewolf film, a werewolf horror film, and really I don't even know if you would call it werewolf because it's not really about a werewolf. It's more just straight-up wolves. Um, a werewolf film, though, let's just say, I never would have thought a film like this would be the perfect uh, vessel through which to to tell, to, to express this theme of... Uh, the natural lands kind of receding and greed taking over and um, old traditions dying away and uh, the on the onslaught and the uh, detrimental effects of capitalism and it's got all these all these deep deep themes going on beneath the surface that really kind of blossom <clears throat> really kind of blossom in the last half hour and uh, there's a whole element of Native Americans. There are a few Native American characters who become prominent later in the film. And the whole mythology built around like what these wolves are and what they represent is so fascinating. I've never seen anything like it in a werewolf movie before. And so it sticks the landing completely in the end. The climax is incredible. It is both... Uh, bombastic and thrilling in just a visceral sense in terms of just the action of it um, is really kind of surprising and uh, hair-raising. But then it also kind of settles down and gets to the meat of the theme. And there's a there's a climactic scene, like the second to last scene, is just perfectly played. Um, I'm trying to think of what to compare it to. It's like there's a little bit of Lady from Shanghai in there, um, in terms of something it does with mirrors, but it's so beautifully done in terms of how it handles that conclusion. And it sounds weird the way I'm saying it because I'm not really giving any details on it. But uh, I, I was floored by this, really. Throughout most of it, I just thought it was pretty solid. But then once I started thinking about it as it was going on, the movie is mostly set in the Bronx and. You know, if you've seen pictures of New York City in the 80s, specifically the Bronx, uh, it's just a lot of rubble. Um, the first shot of the film is of a um, is of uh, an apartment building getting uh, demolished and brought down by dynamite, and the the dust clouds rising, and then the title goes across it, and that really sets the tone because you see that play out throughout the film that element of um, this wasteland that has been brought about by by people moving in and trying to to start these these businesses moving in on this territory because the the inciting incident is like this rich guy gets killed by whatever this thing is 
um, just like a day after breaking ground where they demolished that building to build this giant complex. I don't know if it was a hotel or what, but it was something like that. And um, the film really goes in depth into just uh, Native American cultures specifically disappearing um, and the struggle to fight back, the plight of those people, um, the environment. And it's not preachy. You would think hearing that, that any time you hear a movie is about the environment being threatened, you immediately think it's going to be preachy. But it actually isn't. It's actually really nuanced and, uh, like I said, understated. So Wolfen is really great. And if you look it up, you're going to see a lot of underwhelming reviews. Um, Trust me, if you go in with an open mind, uh, I think you'll be surprised because this movie has so much more on its mind than I think people are giving it credit for. Um, I would love to at some point sit down and just like write a paper about all of the things that this film is addressing because it's fascinating. Um, never would have expected I never would have expected a film like this to go so deep into themes like that. So anyway, that was Wolfen, and what I missed while I was seeing Wolfen was uh, Sadako versus Kayako, which again saying it wrong probably apologies. Um, if you're a fan of The Ring of a Grudge, it's those two characters facing off against each other in a Freddy versus Jason-esque kind of movie out of Japan. So that's what I missed. I, I thought about seeing that, but um, I haven't seen either of those films, so I thought it would just, it would probably not be good for me to go in without any knowledge of it. So I'm glad I chose Wolfen because it was so, it was such a fulfilling experience. And um, if you want to seek it out, seriously, it's a hidden gem. So uh, that pretty much wraps it up for today. Uh, I will put out another one of these tomorrow. Uh, be sure to check out the article itself, which kind of puts all of this that I've said more concisely and more uh, more coherently probably because I'm just sort of rambling here in the middle of the night. Um, go out and check that article out. Uh, this will probably be posted on that article if you're on the SoundCloud page right now. So go to filmicmag.com and check that out. I will continue to be doing this tomorrow and the day after that and all the way through Monday. Um, On Friday, I will be watching five different films. Um, Let me see. Uh, It's useless for me to just run down the the titles because they're not, like, widely known or anything. So anyway... Uh, Thanks for listening. If you are listening, uh, and tune in tomorrow when I post the next one and keep following us along as we cover Ithaca Fantastic. And if you're in Ithaca uh, right now or in the area and you love horror movies, uh, this is really a great, this is a great venue. Um, This is a great uh, event to see some really cool stuff that's playing. Uh, Even if, even if all of it doesn't hit, which of course, any festival you see, everything isn't going to be a masterpiece, but to get a chance to see all of these little indie films that are doing all these interesting things that you don't normally see in most films, and you might not get a chance to see, because not all of these are probably going to get distribution or DVD eventually, so it's a really great opportunity to see some really neat movies um, and support uh, a great theater and um, a great festival that hopefully keeps on going long beyond its fifth year. So thanks again for listening. See you next time.